Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, and he is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, Super Bowl weekend has come and gone, and we are definitely going to talk Eagles-Patriots here coming up later in the show. But we have to start with the Packer news of Super Bowl weekend, and that is Jerry Kramer is a Hall of Famer. It sounds pretty cool to say, and I'm happy to say that we can say it. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, you know, I, I spoke very passionately and <laughs> fervently last week about his credentials. Rightly I'm, so, though. Rightly so. I'm glad uh, we're having this conversation, though. And, and yeah. I think you summed it up best uh, in Insider Inbox last week. It was like if Jerry Kramer wasn't going to get in, just how cruel this would be to, to do to him and to, to put that carrot out in front of him one last time yeah. and then not get it. But lo and behold... The, the voting pe- uh, committee, the, the, obviously how this process goes, the senior finalists happen first in the day. It's an up or down vote. It's it's separate from the modern day finalists. And, and you have uh, to get eighty percent. So I mean, yes. it's, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty high threshold. It's not just pass fail. <laughs> and, and I thought that was interesting too. I think Kramer talked about this a little bit afterwards. You know, you're 82 years old, and it's been 50 years since you've played in the league. He mentioned, I mean, there's half half the people, maybe more, didn't see him play. Some might not even know who he is. Yeah. Um, so in, in some ways, I think, though, the the groundswell of support that he's received over the years, it just seemed like it all reached a crescendo this week. And, and for him to finally get that call, seeing him walk across that stage for the first time uh, after such a long, tireless battle, uh, I, I think, um, as you said too, this is they righted the wrong, and uh, the, for him, this is the culmination of a, an entire career of not only football, but you know something that has meant so much to him personally. Yeah, well, I like what you said last week when we were talking about it that uh, this really this wasn't a, a vote for Jerry Kramer. Yeah. This was a referendum on the Hall of Fame. It was. And I, I thought I thought you put that very well, and and I agree with you because this was an injustice as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned that needed to be corrected. And fortunately, it's been corrected. Even more fortunately, Jerry Kramer is still with us in yeah. order to enjoy that because. He is the uh, 13th, I believe, including Vince Lombardi. He's the 13th Lombardi Packer to go into the Hall of Fame. Many of them are no longer with us. Yes. But he is able to enjoy this. And, uh, and boy, the party that, uh, that the Kramers are going to throw in Canton, <laughs> Ohio in August, it's going to be something. I, th- I think it's funny Kramer mentioned again. He, he mentioned it to me on the phone when I talked to him last summer when it came out that the senior committee was putting him forth as a finalist again. And he reiterated it on Saturday night in Minneapolis. He's never been to Canton. He's always driven by. He didn't want to stop by until he's invited. And he says, well, now I'm invited. And uh, I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, a pretty special summer ceremony at the Hall of Fame. Well, and, and Mike, and if you check out our content, Packers.com, Mike Spofford absolutely killed it uh, this weekend coverage-wise. But included in that coverage was talking with Aaron Rodgers and, and Sterling Sharp. And I thought both of them, they had different comments, but I thought really it came back together, which is, why is Jerry Kramer not in the Hall of Fame? Right. And and now he finally has that. I saw as of Monday morning he's getting fitted for his, his gold jacket. Yeah. Um, his daughter Alicia has been has really, you know, banged the drum and kept that momentum going. And I know how difficult it was every August when the senior finalists would come out 
and Kramer wouldn't be among them. Uh, but to finally have that opportunity, he even said it in his post uh, his post interview with everyone. You know, to be able to share that with her, be able to share that with his family. Oh yeah, um, how much that means to him. And I saw his son Daniel, who I'm friends with on Facebook. Uh, he just posted this little photo. I thought it was such a cool thing. It was Kramer putting his helmet on his son back in the 60s when he was still playing, <laughs> and all it said on the top was, my daddy's a Hall of Famer. I just, it just, It's such an emotional thing to, to see yeah. him finally get this recognition. And, and the other thing, too, as you said, I think this is one more feather in the cap for the Lombardi era. I know a lot of people say, well, there's 13 of them in already, but it was one of the most formidable teams dynasties in nfl history five championships in seven years nobody's matched that it just doesn't happen yeah. so i mean i i don't want to sit here and be like well put in gail gillingham now and, and put in bob skaronsky and put in all these other people whatever happens happens but i just i've never understood the argument of you have to have a limit if you have super bowl if you have you know hall of famers on a team whatever era it is i i I think you can't deny them. And fortunately for Jerry Kramer, he's in now. Yeah, it, it, it's it's for the best players in the game. And Jerry Kramer was one of the best players in the game in his era. That's really what it came back to. And as I said last week, there were 16 guys, 15, 16 guys, whatever it was, who were voted to that 50th yeah. anniversary NFL team. The top guys at individual positions, Jerry Kramer was one of them. And it just, it just didn't make any sense that uh, – that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. It's uh, um, it's going to be a fun time in uh, in Canton, Ohio, this summer for him, and uh, you know, really quite a Hall of Fame class. We we can talk about it more probably in in some future episodes. But uh, but you know, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, yeah. Randy Moss, Brian Dawkins, you know, Robert Brazil, Bobby Bethard as a general manager going in contributor category. It's a pretty special class that he's going in the Hall with. Yeah, and Brazil, a former teammate of Ted Thompson for a number right, of years with, with the, the Oilers, with the Houston Oilers. And I, the, getting back to one other point you made, I think that makes us even more the cherry on top is the fact that Kramer was able to enjoy this with not only that class. But but really be able to go through this after you know so many years of being denied and you know you do look at you know Henry Jordan unfortunately passed in the seventies from a heart attack, but he you know posthumously gets inducted yeah. as a senior finalist you know even recently Ken Stabler I mean the fact that Kramer was able to be a part of this whole celebration of football I I just I looked at that class when they went up on the stadium or went up on the stage together uh, on Saturday night at the NFL Honors I'm like wow that is that's really special. And then Ray Lewis inviting everybody up on the stage. It was, it was really cool to watch. Very, very fun. Night. Yeah. And Terrell Owens in the class too. I know he yep. wasn't there on Saturday night, but wanted to make sure to mention totally. him. didn't want to leave him out, but we've got to get to a break back with more on Packers unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair. Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, you mentioned the uh, uh, interviews on the red carpet that uh, that we were able to secure there. Tyler and I uh, representing Packers.com. And uh, a really fun little conversation. You don't get much time to talk to people on the red carpet. You kind of pull them over, get a few questions yeah. in, you know, let them get on with their, with their evening. But uh, a fun conversation with Aaron Rodgers. Um, certainly... Uh, I kind of threw it out there. Hey, you know, you you uh, you won the MVP the last time you came back from a broken collarbone. He says, "Well, I plan on doing it again." <laughs> Just With a straight face, you know, exactly. But classic Aaron, <laughs> classic Aaron. Yeah. I mean, and I know that he expressed some disappointment last week about losing his position coach, Alex Van Pelt. And hey, he's allowed to be disappointed. It's okay. We're yeah. all human. 
But he sounded pretty fired up to me on Saturday night about his own prospects, about this team's prospects. He's excited to have Joe Philbin back as offensive coordinator. You know, the, he was the, the OC during that record-setting year of 2011 when Aaron Rodgers won his first MVP, set the single-season NFL record for passer rating. Aaron Rodgers is pretty excited about this upcoming year. Yeah, there were three things I took away from that interview, and it's phenomenal. If you haven't checked it out yet, check that out on Packers.com along with Spoff's story. He, first thing, first and foremost, him mentioning the offseason and the fact that not only does he plan to be ready for April, Everyone, I think, has kind of been knowing about that. But the fact that the collarbone's not affecting his offseason program, if you know anything about Aaron Rodgers and his history, that is such a fundamental part of him and in wanting to play deep into his 30s, into his 40s, is his offseason preparation. The yep. fact that this will not really uh, you know, sidetrack that at all. I think that's key. Uh, the second thing he pointed out that I thought was interesting was Joe Philbin and the fact that he did mention in 2011, the last time he was here, the Packers, having the season that they did. Personally, I said this from the beginning, I think that Joe Philbin is the Robin to Mike McCarthy's Batman. I just think together they, they know each other's strengths. Philbin knows what he needs to do to best serve McCarthy as the play caller. I think that is so important when you're going through game planning because this is a very unique offensive coordinator position in Green Bay since you aren't calling plays like right. maybe a Pat Shermer was in Minnesota. Right. And then and then lastly, uh, the confidence. Uh, <laughs> I've always said this. I think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are the two most confident players I've covered in the NFL. And it's not a false bravado. It's just internal confidence that they believe that no matter what happens, they will overcome. And Rodgers saying that with a straight face – he wasn't just trying to put on a face for nothing. He is fully confident that he's going to be the MVP. Wouldn't guarantee it, yeah. you know, but I mean, he feels like he's going to have that kind of season. And as he said to you afterwards, his little his little speech to Packer fans, his little his line saying, "Don't get used to not play, being in playoff games in January. This is an aberration." And I think there was a triple negative involved there too in that that line, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes can be really hard to line up to and uh you're, you know, speaking um so quickly but it was a great interview really interesting stuff yeah he was he, he was very gracious with his time we certainly appreciate him stopping by and uh it was for me it was the first time being involved in a red carpet <laughs> type of situation as a reporter you, you almost feel like you're you know more like a reporter for entertainment I was tonight say, than, yeah. than packers.com but it's <laughs> but it, it's really something you know i was trying to you know snap some pictures here and there when you know i saw jim kelly you know walking by and and, and I mean, you know tons of hall of fame players and obviously lots of current stars you know jj watt tj watt you know all these guys who uh, who were there to either potentially receive awards or present awards or they were nominated for awards all this kind of stuff it really it really is a, a who's who evening of uh, of the NFL and then you know you have TV stars walking by occasionally cuz like the cast members from This Is Us you know the show oh, that yeah. aired right after the Super Bowl right. and uh, so I did a couple of double takes cuz I'm thinking oh that guy looks familiar but you know he's not a football player it's like oh yeah he's on that TV show so <laughs> you're trying to piece it all together as uh, as it's all as it's all happening really quickly but uh, but a fun night. We got some good interviews. It talked to uh, Charles Woodson as well, who is uh, and and Sterling Sharp, both former Packers, obviously both very gracious with their time. And uh, um, a couple of guys. They had some interesting thoughts on the changes going on in Green Bay. And uh, and speaking about the defense, I thought Woodson had an interesting interesting point. You know, when he looks at the defense as a whole, he said, "Well, first off, you've got to stay healthy." From yeah. his position as an analyst with ESPN, he continues every time. He says he's watching the Packers. It's like there's guys hurt. You know, the regular yeah. players aren't out there. But he also said 
and this is classic DB talk, it comes down to the pass rush. And he was joking like, hey, when I was a player, we're always saying, hey, we got to get to the quarterback. You, know, you got to help us out here in the yeah. back end. And he was a blitzer. Some, you know, he was sometimes the guy going after the quarterback. But, uh, um, but really, that, uh, the, the pass rush is where it's going to start, I think, for Mike Pettin as the new defensive coordinator here in Green Bay. And, and uh, I think Charles Woodson, among many others, is very interested to see just what this defense looks like in 2018. I do find it interesting that Woodson was talking about you have to stay healthy. This is a guy who basically didn't practice during, I think, the year that he was NFL Defensive Player of the Year <laughs> yeah. because all you know the injuries he was playing through and basically just suited up on Sundays. Yeah, and suited up on Sunday, and he was the best defensive <laughs> player in the league. So go figure. So, so maybe there's a little bit of middle ground there, but yeah. I, I think he, you know he brings up a great point, and you have to have the pass rush and, and coverage work in concert with each other. Yep. I think that was the biggest thing when you look at the defense last year. Communication wasn't there, and it just didn't seem like they were able to get those two phases on the same page at the same time. They both excelled at different times, but it was tough to get them there at the same time. This is the biggest question, Mike, and it's going to be a big question going into training camp, seeing what that defense looks like with those new pieces. I think there is some really good building blocks. Now seeing where Brian Gutekunst takes it from there, it's going to be probably one of the most telling points because in 2008, didn't have a great year. 2009, Woodson became Defensive Player of the Year. Dom Capers turned it around. Now Pett will try to do the same. Yeah, the Packers turned it around very quickly back then. We'll see if they can do it again. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. And Wes, Super Bowl 52 was played over the weekend. Oh, so that happened too. We might as well uh, <laughs> get to it. And um, the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the top defenses in the league, and a Bill Belichick defense with two weeks to prepare for the Philadelphia offense. And you end up with the most total yards, not only in a Super Bowl or in a playoff game, but in any game in NFL history. It's just the way we figured this game was going to go, right? Yeah, you know, Jim Schwartz and that defense that the Eagles had, how stifling it was all year. 613 total yards uh, allowed. <laughs> wow. Hey, it was great, man. I, I, it was I don't, a great game. There's no question about it. I don't want to turn this into every single year is the best Super Bowl that's ever played, with you know, not counting the Broncos-Seattle game from a few years ago, but... This was great from the very beginning till the very end. The drama uh, and just neither offense really giving an inch. And I think you have to tip your cap to Nick Foles. An unbelievable job, you know, basically resurrecting his entire career was kind of forgotten about. Ends up in Kansas City last year and was backing up Alex Smith. Right. And I give it to Howie Roseman. He realized that they wanted a, an experienced guy behind Carson Wentz, their second year quarterback. And Foles ends up fitting the bill. And what what a remarkable job late in that game. Even though they did give up 613 yards, Brandon Graham getting the forced fumble. I don't know how the heck Derek Barnett was able to corral that football. Basically one hopped off his foot yeah. and was able to recover it. Uh, yeah, drama. that could have been that could have been a major scrum if oh, he doesn't totally. grab that off if the it, bounce. It, Holy cow! It would have been like a rugby thing; it would yeah. just been bouncing away. Yeah. And he ends up catching it on the first bounce. That's why you practice fumble drills. But uh, <laughs> from I was glued to my television from beginning to end. Yeah, me too. It was something to watch. Yeah, I I think where I give the Eagles the most credit, not only for obviously the one. They really made one play on defense the entire second half because the first three times yeah. the Patriots had the ball in the second half, they marched right down the field and scored three touchdowns. They made the one big defensive play when they had to have it with a couple minutes to go. But overall, where I give the Eagles the most credit is that 
they had blown the lead and fallen behind and they still were able to pull it together enough to put together another drive, get the lead back and send that defense back out on the field to stop Tom Brady and win the Super Bowl. I, the the way the momentum and everything was going because the Eagles had basically been ahead yeah. you know throughout the game and then Tom Brady and the Patriots complete that comeback and take the lead in the fourth quarter a lot of times you can't get the momentum back no. after something yeah. like that and the Eagles did it and that's why they won yeah two things that stood out to me the most in this Doug Peterson's play calling uh, obviously the former Packers quarterback nine years ago was a high school football coach <laughs> uh, just completely gutsy. Put incredible faith in his backup quarterback uh, and the guys around him to come through. And also, I mean, it's not really been a big storyline, but a tip of the cap to Jake Elliott. Uh, He misses that extra point early on. I don't care. I could be the most talented. I could have the best leg. I could be the most accurate kicker in NFL history. You put me in the situation he was in with, I believe, that 46-yarder. I'm missing that nine times out of nine. (laughs) Uh, But he comes up clutch. And that was such a big thing, too, because if he doesn't make that kick, well, then Tom Brady gets the ball back at, what, the 38-yard line, something like that? Yeah, it would have been pretty good field position. And would have had a great chance to come down. I still don't know exactly what the Patriots were doing on that kickoff return. I mean, they're trying to make something happen, but I think at that point you have Tom Terrific as your quarterback, even though you don't have timeouts and you need to go all the way down the field. I still think you put the ball in his hands. Um, they wasted some time there, but um, yeah, regardless, it, it came down to the very end. Um, and uh, again, it was just, uh, it was a type of football game that I think when you look back, it's going to be remembered as one of the most entertaining start to finish. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this one uh, after the break back with more on Packers unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz and Wes continuing our discussion of the Super Bowl. I wanted to point out, I think an area, another area where I give the Eagles a heck of a lot of credit is uh, the fact that they were still able to keep things going on offense after the Patriots made that adjustment yeah. to take Alshon Jeffrey away. Because the way the first half was going, Jeffrey was making some big-time plays. That touchdown catch was phenomenal, and I thought if he had come down with that deep ball that ended up being the deflected interception for New England, if he had come down with that, I thought we were looking at the Super Bowl MVP right there. Alshon Jeffrey was going to get it. The Patriots made the adjustment. They put Stephon Gilmore on Alshon Jeffrey, really kind of took him out of the game, but yet the Eagles still moving the ball, scoring points, putting drives together and stuff. I, you know, you mentioned Doug Peterson, the game plan, the play calling, and everything. Obviously, the performance of Nick Foles, just really, really impressive to do that. I know this wasn't Bill Belichick's best defense by a long shot in New England, but for a Bill Belichick defense to have two weeks to prepare for an offense and really not have any answers yeah. for four quarters, that surprised me. Yeah, it did. And, and I thought both offensive game plans were incredibly creative. Obviously, we saw some trickeration a little bit uh, with some <laughs> yeah, of the both quarterback teams, passes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest thing that stood out to me uh, when you mentioned the adjustments that, that the Eagles had to make, Nelson Aguilar, who, if you remember from last year when the Packers played the Eagles, that was the week leading up to that game that he had gotten benched. And there were some questions of whether or not the Eagles might just even release him at that point. That's right. Hadn't really been working out for his two, first two seasons. He ends up stepping up, uh, leads them in receiving in this game with nine receptions, uh, and really what has been a breakthrough year for him. But also Zach Ertz, uh, him catching that pass, I believe, on the fourth and one. 
was it, uh, when they were at midfield? Yes. Was able to snag that one. Comes back. I don't know why we had to waste 12 minutes about whether or not that was a touchdown catch. It was a touchdown catch, Chris Collinsworth. It was pretty obvious, in my opinion, common sense-wise. But he made some phenomenal plays at critical times for them as well. And then give Elshon Jeffrey credit, man. He had some great catches throughout that ball game. Uh, Howie Roseman, again, you tip your cap to him. They knew they needed a a marquee receiver to go with Carson Wentz. They went and got him. It worked out. Now they've extended him. Uh, Just... It really was a team effort. Uh, Corey Clement had a big game as well for them, yep. undrafted free agent out of Wisconsin. So Great touchdown catch by him as well. Absolutely. So when you pair all that stuff together offensively, I don't think this was a team that it's like, okay, that's the superstar. They were all across the board, and they made it happen, and they won their first Super Bowl championship because of it. Yeah, and I tip my cap to Zach Ertz especially because it's long forgotten now, but back on the opening drive of the game, the Eagles are at the two-yard line. Right. He gets called for the false start that cost them four points. They end up kicking a field goal there. They were going to just pound it in on the yeah. ground from the two-yard line. They had second and goal at the two. That cost them four points. You knew right then when that happened, when they had to settle for that field goal early on, you know that's going to you know come back to, into play, and Ertz was the guy who was called for the, fall, for the false start. He ends up making the big plays down the stretch that get him the victory. He really did, and, and I think you look at this offense and the way it's structured, they need to be multiple. They need to do different things, and they need to count on different players at different times. It's not like Calvin Johnson where it's just you're zoned in on that guy. That has to be who this offense runs through. It can be different guys stepping up at different times. I think that's the number one thing I learned about Doug Peterson this year, getting a chance to watch his team a little bit more how willing he is to put that confidence in his players. I think a lot of coaches would have a hard time doing what he did, making the calls that he did. But after he said even, you know, we're here to win the Super Bowl. And they were either going to win the Super Bowl or they were going to lose the Super Bowl. But they chose that they were going to do what they needed to do to win it. Yeah, congratulations to the Eagles. They get their first Super Bowl title and first NFL title since 1960. But with that, it's a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.